0: Hello, Canada. Today's date is October 2nd, 2022. Welcome to a full edition of Canadian Common Sense, Canada's Issues in Under an Hour. It is Tony in Saskatchewan.
1: And Louis out here in BC.
0: How are you, my man?
1: Well, pretty good. Um, my uh, my son and I yesterday, we went and um, took part in an episode of uh, Rust Valley Restorers. Wow, and uh, so I, I don't know if we may, if we're going to make the show or not. But we went to the uh, auction that was held yesterday, and and uh, and we um, were definitely in many of the shots. So we'll see.
0: Oh, awesome! Okay, you posted a selfie on your personal Facebook page with uh, your son. Is that gentleman you're with part of the show?
1: Yeah, it's Mike Hall. Yeah, okay, he's the, he's the central. Uh, guy
0: so cool okay yeah that's the show i've heard of i've not watched a lot of it so uh well that's awesome
1: yeah it was really uh it was fun
0: excellent all right so canada we have got a lot to talk about today so we're gonna get right into it on the show today oakville goes viral for all the wrong reasons the prairies say no thank you we're free or are we couple of elections going on cbc dropping objectivity and more where do you want to start sir
1: well let's just start from the top with uh oakville
0: sounds good now you had sent me another article about the the, the whole situation for lack of a better word in oakville yeah. so uh let's just get right in
1: yeah um so every i mean most people know by now that Oakville, Ontario has been having a situation where a a male a male at birth teacher uh has been wearing extremely large prosthetic breasts and dressing like a woman to teaches crop class. Now, we touched on this last episode a bit about um, about the controversy. Uh, it is a controversy that is 100% completely warranted in my uh, somewhat conservative opinion. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, highly inappropriate, uh, especially when you consider just how... Enormous these prosthetic breasts are um, I don't think there's a porn star on the planet that has breasts up large um, so and this is in our in in a classroom, and there are now teachers or sorry parents and students that have been protesting outside the school. About this, uh, they uh, but the teacher, the teachers' union, the district, and the school uh, started off defending this teacher, and are now fairly silent on it. Um, but they are still in the teachers' corner. They are not backing down. They are not standing up for the children. And they're not standing up for what's right.
0: That's absolutely true. The school, in fact, is still looking for ways to protect this teacher, and it's it's embarrassing. It's this is uh, really it has gone viral. I mean, there's a lot of videos from the school that are getting worldwide attention. We're, news media outlets in Europe have been covering this. The states, it is everywhere. Um, yet one more black eye for Canada, and you're right. The students are uh, the school is being really weird with it. They're they're saying to the students, "Okay, yeah, you can go out and protest safely, etc." And but they want nobody to confront this teacher about it directly, and they're doing everything they can to try to create a safe environment for the teacher, and that is backwards. So backwards.
1: Yeah. They should not be worried about the teacher. I mean, yes, every teacher deserves to uh, have a safe work environment, um, but this teacher has a safe work environment. This is not the problem right now. The problem is, is that the students, these children, are being exposed to something that they shouldn't be getting exposed to. And this is a, these are highly impressionable children. But the thing is, is that there is this uh, agenda with our schools and our governments and our uh, our institutions that we must accept everything, except dissenting opinion. But we must accept everything, and it's actually quite scary what's going on because you cannot have a different opinion on this.
0: That's true. Yeah, you're right. I mean, uh, everything is is acceptable except dissent. You're right. It's, uh, that's so backwards and it's, uh, I mean, and okay, this is a high school. So, uh, we're talking about teenagers here who are really just kind of coming into their own. So, yeah, they're are they are a highly impressionable group of students, and I really want to give full kudos and my full support to the parents and the students who have stepped up and said, "Yeah, this is this is not acceptable," and are protesting. I want to give them full credit because they got to wake up that school board and the the, the school administration itself. This is you know it's turned Oakville into a laughingstock worldwide. And I'm sure that uh, well, people across the the world probably never knew what, where Oakville, Ontario, was. And honestly, I never have mentioned the town so much in my life as I have since all this crap has gone on.
1: Yeah, it's it, it is embarrassing, but the most, but the biggest thing is is that it's damaging. It's damaging to the kids and it's damaging to society.
0: Yeah. Now, uh, you and I, before the show, we had discussed a possible different take on this. Now, I don't think that this is actually the case, but but hear me out, Canada. What if, what if this dude uh, has taken it upon himself to say this whole woke garbage has gotten so far out of control that I'm going to go to an absolute extreme to see how far I can push it and bring this system down.
1: Yeah, that thought had crossed my mind about a week and a half ago, like kind of when when this all started. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm with, I'm with you. I don't think that this is the case. Uh, it's not playing out that way. Um, but I, it, wouldn't it be something if that's what was happening? Was that he was proving a point?
0: Yeah, like, I think that, uh, that that's not what he's doing. I think the guy's just insane. But, yeah, if he was out there just to try to prove a point and then, you know, next school year or whatever just said, well, see, I told you so, I would actually applaud the guy. But, I mean, as it is, I or I guess I I, I can't say the guy because I guess he is uh, probably identifying as she, her.
1: yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I I don't know. This craziness has gone way too far.
0: Yeah, it really has. So uh, unfortunately, Canada, we will probably have more on this next week. (laughs) And what else we will have for you next week is going to be some election results. So tomorrow, October 3rd, uh, Quebecers will go to the polls to elect their next government. Now, we haven't really said much about this because right from the very start, Uh, This has been Francois Legault's election to lose. So uh, why don't we just call it right now? I'll declare a majority CAC government for Francois Legault tomorrow.
1: All right. Um, I got to be honest, I don't follow Quebec politics very closely because it's so weird. (laughs)
0: Um,
1: And uh, so, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that there's any question. That it's going to be like those government again after tomorrow.
0: Oh, for sure. Now there have been a couple of interesting things that I've that this election has brought out. The most interesting thing to me, and uh, I actually got to give credit to Eric Dube, who's the leader of the Quebec Conservative Party. He has turned the debate finally, because for decades it's always been a matter of separatists versus federalists, in Quebec elections. And Eric Duhaym has f- actually finally made it a political debate where it's now more of a left-right issue than it is separatist versus sovereign to- or versus federalist. So I guess that's a win for for him, but really it's going to be how big is, is Legault's majority and who's going to place second? Because we've got the Conservative Party in Quebec, who is quite strong in the Quebec city area, the... Liberal Party of Quebec that is quite strong in Montreal area, the PQ, who's got sort of little pockets here and there, and Quebec Solidaire, who I actually don't know anything about, but apparently they're polling quite well as well. So uh, it'll be interesting to see who is the official opposition.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, Quebec is such a funny place when it comes to politics because you get these bursts of separatist sentiment every decade or so. and uh, But I've never seen kind of the sentiment as low as it is right now. Um, but that's because we've got a federal government playing right into their hands. Um, and we've got you know, massive Western alienation and a and a growing separatist sentiment out west. So um, I don't know. I kind of miss the days of Stephen Harper when there was no separatist sentiment anywhere in the country. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting to see that in Quebec right now.
0: Yeah, and so uh, we're going to have a new premier in Alberta as well. Uh, the votes, well, the ballots are already in now. So the official results will be released on Friday October 6th and well there's no secret who I who I support I've not been endorsing Danielle Smith ever since April when uh, I interviewed her for our show and she's well right now she's the, still the front runner and I'm going to touch a bit more on that in another topic but yeah I uh I'm interested to see how it's going to turn out it's not a lock for Danielle Smith but I think she's certainly the favorite going in
1: Yeah, um, I believe Brian Jean is pulling second, is that right?
0: I think so, yeah.
1: Yeah, and it's, it's, uh, close enough that, that, you know, it's not a lock for Danielle Smith. Um, my only concern with Danielle Smith is that she's not going to be respected by the MLAs just because of what she did do in the past, um where she crossed the floor from one party to the other when she was the leader of said party. Uh, I know she touched on that when you interviewed her on the show and she admitted that 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 was a mistake. And that's very big of her because most politicians will not admit when they made a mistake or when they were at fault for something. Um, so I gotta give her kudos for that for sure. Um, But I I just worry about whether she will have the MLA's respect. Um, I mean, Brian Jean doesn't seem to respect her. Uh, He's, things that he has said uh, publicly and stuff, just, you know, you know he does not even come close to respecting her.
0: True and Jason Kenney has certainly, uh, you know, actually campaigned against her, and I'm worried about her her down ballot support, as it were. Like she's obviously going to have forty odd percent who are going to make her their number one choice, but I wonder how many are going to make her their number two or three, for example. So there's, yeah, she may have some problems, you know, after that first ballot, but uh, but yep, I'm still in her camp.
1: Yeah, and, and uh, I mean, I I hope that. You know she uh, that that she if she does win that I, I hope she does get the, the party's respect the MLA's respect um, because uh, because I do think that she's a good a good uh, I, I think she would be a good leader um, I just I mean there's a few things that have me concerned about it just because like when she was the leader of the uh, well the Rose party she she kind of lost the party um, before she crossed the floor, and um, I just hope that she's learned the lessons that she needs to learn from that, um, in order to uh, in in order to have a successful campaign as the leader of the party and as premier.
0: Oh, well, that, that's a good point. So, so we will bring you those results next weekend, Canada, for both of those races. And, well, let's dovetail that into a discussion about the prairie, since we are in Alberta now, and Alberta politics, that is. So you may have heard, Canada, that Alberta had said no to Justin Trudeau's gun buyback program. And Saskatchewan at first timidly joined in and said, well, we'll consider our options. And then they've decided to go all in. Now Manitoba has joined the party and said, no, we're not going to do... uh, enforce this gun buyback program and i really liked i think it was manitoba's minister of justice or maybe even the premier took a little dig and um uh, said that you know our we consider our it would be a waste of rcmp resources when they could be out there solving crimes or some, something of that effect and i just thought nice
1: <laughs> yeah i mean this is this is this is a story that's really kind of broke this week and um the uh the Alberta government i mean this is it's such a shame because jason kenney is finally acting like the premier everybody wanted him to be yeah and and he if he'd been if he'd been this premier all along he wouldn't have lost his uh the support of his from his party um, he is standing up to the federal government telling them that they're not going to or that they not not that they're not that that they're not going to ask the r c m p to enforce these, this stupid uh uh bill they're actually ordering the r c m p in alberta not to uh to use any Provincial money. They're, they're or, they've ordered them not to uh, enforce this gun buyback, and uh, and there and and people were questioning whether they were legally allowed to do that. And guess what? Yes, they are. And so they are refusing to enforce it. They are suing the. Uh, the federal government, with the CCFR, they've joined the Canadian Coalition for Firearms Rights in their lawsuit against the federal government. Uh, Saskatchewan has now done the same. Manitoba has now done the same. BC will never do it. There, there are people. Most of the people outside, outside of the Lower Mainland, outside of Vancouver and and the, the Island, who would love it if our government would join the party, but the problem is is that we have an NDP government, and they have never met a band they didn't like. And so they're all in on this, too. So don't count DC in with this, because it won't happen. Um, Ontario, though, um, I'm just waiting for Doug Ford to say, hey, we're in on this, too. But I don't know if he will or not, because That will spell the end of his career in Toronto.
0: Well, that's a good point. Yeah, and it's uh, it's sad. I guess you're right about BC. Yeah, I mean, the lower mainland really runs the whole province, which is unfortunate because outside of the lower mainland or southern Vancouver Island, there's probably a lot of firearms owners, hunters and fishermen and, and such who would, yeah, be all in for jumping on board of this.
1: Yeah, you know it's it's funny because most of the people I know mm-hmm. all own firearms. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> and so, I mean, it's it's one of those things where, you know, we're. I mean, and I and I do. There's there's lots of hunters in that that live in Vancouver, but um, but nothing like outside of Vancouver. Like it's it's a really high percentage of people outside of. Outside of Vancouver and outside of uh, Victoria, that that own firearms in BC, but we're but when you take into account the Lower Mainland's population and Vancouver Island's population, the rest of this province is is not um, represented.
0: Yeah, that's true, and uh, this is where I mentioned earlier. I would touch on Danielle Smith again. What Jason Kenny has done here is. Danielle Smith's Sovereignty Act, essentially, saying that this is bogus legislation from Ottawa, and it's an order in council, for that matter, and we're not going to take it. And I thought to myself, what great timing that Jason Kenney actually essentially invokes Danielle Smith's signature campaign legislation, wow. and, uh, and he's right to do so. And it really just kind of proves what she's been saying all along, that yeah, you know what, this is dumb, and in this specific case, and I know you've heard me talk about the Constitution a lot on this show, Canada, but this is Section 92 in action. The provinces are constitutionally obligated to to control policing, to regulate policing in their provinces, and this is exactly what Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba are doing, saying, hey, we're in control of policing, and we are not going to waste our police resources on this stupidity. And I applaud them for doing so.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's funny because, um, you know, Brian Jean uh, was kept saying how Daniel Smith's Sovereignty Act is unconstitutional and not legal to implement. And, um, well, guess what, Brian? You lose.
0: (laughs) Hey, that's a that's a really good point. You're right. (laughs) Yeah. uh, I
1: guess that one backfired, hey Brian. Yeah,
0: that's right. (laughs) Whoops. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. So we will uh, touch on now the second annual Truth and, and Reconciliation Day holiday took place on Friday so created a long weekend for a lot of federal civil servants and federal government workers. Um, Lewis, you and I were working but and so were many Canadians who don't work for the federal government but what's amazing that this is the biggest news story in Canada about our second annual Truth and Reconciliation Day, Justin Trudeau did not go surfing
1: yeah, pretty funny, hey. That that's the biggest story. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, and and great. I mean, I want to applaud the prime minister that he didn't go surfing because this is a long weekend and he, you know, he's going to have a grueling schedule when he flies to Japan for uh, Shinzo Abe's funeral. But he actually attended an event in Ottawa, and I believe it was a Globe and Mail that caught a picture of him and Roseanne Archibald, who is the chief of the Assembly of First Nations, uh, sharing a a tear-jerking moment together. Both of them are wiping away tears, and it's always good to see uh, Justin Trudeau crying at yet one more event. He seems to be quite good at that.
1: Yeah, I mean, his crocodile tears are becoming quite famous.
0: They really are, yeah. And I mean, it looked like just as much BS as every other time he's shed a tear for whatever event of the you know du jour he's been at, so...
1: It's so embarrassing, you know, when your when your prime minister just cries at everything. I mean, why? Like, what, what are you trying to prove? Are you trying to prove that you're that you're uh, that you feel that you're that you know you feel something for these residential school survivors? I mean, we all feel feel for them we all feel bad for them we all feel like you know that like what happened was, was not good you don't need to cry about it I mean he cries about everything yeah. every time he, he goes and talks about something he cries like shut up you big baby <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, well said <laughs>
1: and I mean it's so fake I mean there's nothing about it that feels real
0: well, that's the problem right there. Yeah, I mean, he, we we all know by now that that he is faking it. And and you're absolutely right. I mean, you don't have to shed a tear for the cameras just to prove that you have some empathy for the situation and for the residential school survivors, et cetera. But, of course, because he's the dramatic one, he's got to make a show of it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's embarrassing. I mean... The the thing that that's come out of this though is that now the now there's a big push to make this a federal stat, um, like to, to the, that all the provinces will recognize it as a stat too, and th- that that bothers me. I mean, Remembrance Day isn't even a stat in this country. That's
0: it's, right.
1: You know, I mean, and that's the only day of the year that should absolutely be a stat. And it's not even a stat.
0: Yeah, no, and I think part of that is also is part of the, uh, I don't remember which number on the list now of those 92 recommendations from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. I think it's 63 was yeah. like, to create a stat, a stat holiday, you know, to, uh, to honor the residential school survivors. So I think that's where this is going. But we've got a crap ton of stat holidays already and i realize when you're Justin Trudeau and you're not actually worried about about making a payroll or what whatever then oh yeah we'll just throw all the holidays of the weekend around because you tax cheats like you lewis can can pony up for yet one more stat day in the year
1: yeah well i wouldn't be so upset about one more stat day if it was if if it was taking part, place in like june
0: Oh, you mean like or, like June, maybe June twenty first when it's National Aboriginal Persons Day?
1: Yeah, or or in you know November, you know, a month that doesn't have one already. But but right now, I mean, we've got we've got Labor Day, which is the first the first Monday of uh, September, and then we've got Thanksgiving, which. Is, uh, which is the second Monday of, of October. And so, I mean, you put this one in there, and you've got three, three stats in potentially 30 days or, or yeah. 35 days or something like that. Right, yeah. I mean, this is, this is ridiculous. I mean, every stat costs me a lot of money as a business owner and And I mean it's one thing if if they put it in june um, when uh when we have National Aboriginal day and there isn't already a stat in uh in june um, but it's a completely other another situation when they are adding it just two weeks before Thanksgiving and three weeks after labor Day
0: yeah, it really does make it uh Make it tough i mean it's not like you can budget for stat holidays it's just uh
1: that's it's hard to do i mean we we have to factor that into our fees right and and the thing is is that you know i mean it's it, it's not it's not an easy thing to do because i mean it costs me you know a couple of grand every stat.
0: Well, especially because in your business you got to keep working when the sun shines and you're still in, you know, in September, and October, you're still working. So it's uh not yeah. like you can say, "No, no, we're just going to going to park everything for the, for the day for 3 days out of 35." Like, "Nope."
1: Yeah, and then you've got and then you've got companies that remain open on stats like stores and restaurants, and they now have to pay time and a half. Yeah. And I mean that's that's a big that's a big expense and people don't understand that. It, for for business owners it, it, it can make things very difficult.
0: Yeah, no that's a really good point. So um we'll circle back to the truth and reconciliation day itself. I'm actually encouraged that yesterday I think the the First Nations community really embraced it. There was powwows all across the country. There was lots of celebrations, and I think that I'd love to see it go that way because that, you know, a nice sort of positive, let's celebrate Indigenous culture, and I saw lots of dancers. I saw just, yeah, a lot of really amazing celebrations just to say, here we are, this is who we are, and not just saying, you bad colonists, you evil settlers, it was uh I saw a lot of really positive things uh or on Friday I should say and I really hope that that's the direction we go with this day.
1: Yeah, me too. I mean it's it's uh you know I mean we we we've talked about this many times. I mean we we're peddling what so far seems to be uh a misleading story about the uh 200 like f- the 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 number 215 right yeah. uh, and what happened yesterday was more encouraging you know it it was it was indigenous uh, ceremonies and events and uh it's use it as a teaching moment, right? Like, teaching um, teaching people about indigenous culture, about, you know, First Nations uh, history and stuff like that. Like, let's do that. Let's not talk about how evil white people are. I mean, don't forget, the people who are alive today had nothing to do with what happened 100, 150 years ago.
0: That's a really good point. That's a actually a great way to, to spin that, is, yeah, make it a teachable moment and make this uh, a day to open the rest of our eyes to the fantastic mosaic that we've got in this country.
1: Yeah, because, I mean, First Nations culture is quite fascinating. It is. and And most Canadians don't know anything about it because... Most Canadians get their backs up as soon as you start mentioning First Nations and all of that, because of the way they, uh, because of the way the conversation gets framed. And if they would, you if you take a more positive approach to it, people are going to open up their their ears and their eyes and and uh, and even take part in things because they're not being told how evil and, and awful they are um I mean you get more more flies with honey right or more bees with honey
0: right yeah well actually that's, right. that's that's uh you're you're right and uh well hey speaking of framing conversations the CBC is considering well framing their their reporting and their journalism a little differently now it's funny that the CBC says they are considering this now. <laughs> uh, I can't even <laughs> say this with a straight face, but CBC <laughs> actually has a mandate that demands that their reporters not express their own personal opinions or views about uh, news stories upon which they're reporting. And <laughs> what? I'm, so, I'm sorry, Canada, that that's actually what it says, and I I just can't uh, I can't say that with a straight face because oh, we are
1: that's news to me.
0: Yeah, apparently that's an actual mandate. And uh as soon as I read that I thought, does anybody ever seen Rosemary Barton? Especially when she interviews Trudeau, there is zero objectivity there. Zero.
1: Or how about when she interviews the, the a leader a conservative leader? I mean, I remember during the uh uh during the the two thousand and fifteen no not two thousand and fifteen. Maybe it was 2015 election or was it the 2019 election? I can't remember. Uh, one or the other where she was interviewing. Uh, oh, it was the 2019 election when she was when she was doing like a town hall with uh, with um, oh Andrew Shear. And she asked him a question and then she answered the question for him. <laughs> and he said, no, that's not our position on that and she started laughing wow like it's she is the she's the most biased rep, like uh political reporter in the country and i use and i use reporter uh you know with air air quotes <laughs> um she's she's uh she's horrible and most of the people, most of the reporters on CBC are horrible in that matter. They're most, they're very, they're very biased. They're very, uh, um, they have, they have an agenda and they don't let their personal biases get in the way. And it's, and it's really sad because, I mean, there are some really good ones, uh, like Vashi Capellos is amazing. I mean, I'm a big fan of hers because you have you, you listen to her on her show and she plays she plays it straight with every guest no matter what party they're from. She will hold their feet to the fire, she asks them all hard questions, she will not let them get away with not answering a question. And it doesn't matter what party they belong to.
0: Yeah, but she is, uh, you're right, she's a rarity. Now, we should be clear, this push for, uh, they're looking to change their objectivity standards, but only for reporters or commentators who are visible minorities, because their bias apparently is more important. Now, it's... It's funny because when you start talking about Rose Barton and whatnot, then I thought, okay, I don't remember the lady's name and I don't care. I know she's taken over a different show now, but there was the one commentator who had suggested that Russia was behind the Freedom Convoy. And of course that proved to be bogus right off the bat. And there was, you know, Ashley Virk, I remember her reporting in Ottawa that, you know, somebody threw a bicycle under the horse that trampled that old lady. Well, that was actually her mobility scooter that the horse knocked her off of and yeah. yep no retraction for that and but yeah oh yeah we're by all means you uh i i can see your objectivity i mean the only way that they can actually pass themselves off as being objective is when they go to cover an event that they support as a network i mean they uh everybody in canada i i shouldn't say everybody but probably 99% of canadians know the cbc is just a propaganda arm for the liberal party of canada that that's always what they've been
1: yeah, I mean absolutely. I mean it's. It, it, people say, "Oh, they're they're not biased towards one." Like I actually heard this. <laughs> I, I actually heard this. Uh, someone said that uh, that the CBC is not biased towards one uh, party. They're biased towards the government because they're a state broadcaster. And I said, "No," when when they. Conservatives are in power. The CBC did not did not uh, act in their best interest. They acted in the best interest of the Liberal Party. Like okay. it, it is it is skewed one way. It is not skewed towards the gover- governing party. It's skewed towards one party in particular.
0: Oh, exactly. Uh, what point has the CBC ever depicted a Liberal leader as being literally Hitler?
1: Exactly. So, um,
0: so, all right. So Canada, we've got one more story to tackle. Well, we might even have time for a surprise one too. Um, I want to say we're free, but our border measures have really just been suspended, not actually eliminated. So now as of, well, yesterday, October 1st, the Arrive Can app is now optional for uh, travelers ent- entering Canada. Unvaccinated travelers entering Canada or returning Canadians who are unvaccinated no longer need to quarantine. There is no longer a mask mandate on planes or, or trains. So it's essentially, I saw uh, one gentleman yesterday on Twitter had posted that we are back to normal. And my reply was, it may feel normal, but when the government tells you they can bring these restrictions back, I wouldn't say it's exactly normal.
1: Yeah, no, it's definitely not normal yet. Um, I mean, it's great to see that the government is so scared of Pierre Polyev that they changed their policies um, without, you know, a change in the science. And um, <laughs> But they're that scared of Pierre Polyev that they dropped their mandates um, or temporarily suspended them. Um
0: yeah, actually, I want to okay. jump in on that one, uh, just for a sec, sorry to interrupt. Um, Vaci Capellos, uh, since we were just talking about her, she had on, I don't remember which minister it was from the from the government, and she, yeah, she hammered them hard, saying, uh, what's changed uh, in the science from between May and now, that now it's okay to lift these mandates, but in May it wasn't when the... Tourism season and tourism operators were begging you to really remove them, and of course, she couldn't get an answer. But yeah, she didn't give up for the whole segment.
1: So. Yeah, no, no, it's true. I mean, like, why didn't they do this at the beginning of the summer when when the tourist industry really needed it? Um, I mean, I mean, to be honest, I mean, the tourism industry, I don't think suffered at all this year. I think they like they they've actually set many records or. Revenue and for uh, for the number of people visiting tourist areas uh, I know we did here in the Okanagan it was the biggest summer we've ever had I believe um, and uh, but the thing is is that you didn't have any tourists from out of the country I mean there were some Americans but most of the people uh, that were uh, that were here were Canadians um, I still. You know, did not see very many people from Europe, if any, um, compared to previous, you know, before before COVID, where you would see Europeans, a lot of Europeans here, um, just didn't see them. Uh, but it really, the border towns, you know, are the ones that really suffered. Because you even have Americans coming across the border. Um mm-hmm and we just didn't have that this year. Uh it's it's really a shame that that our government doesn't care about its people. Because if they did, they would have lifted these mandates 6 months ago minimum. Um and I mean when when, when and I talked about this this summer after I went to the uh, Maritimes, uh you know, most I would say almost half the people, if not half the people, weren't wearing their masks in airports or on the plane, anyway, um, and nobody was enforcing it. So this is this is good news because now those people can can stop pretending that they were wearing their masks. Because <laughs> um, I mean, that's what I was doing. I was pretending. I was, you know, I would just hold a, an open bottle of water in my hand and keep my mask down so that it looked like I was, you know, eating or drinking. And, uh, and uh I mean, that's what most people were doing. And there were some people who were just, you know, completely uh just like in, at the Calgary airport. I, I would say most people were not wearing their masks and nobody was enforcing it. So... And they weren't even pretending. They weren't even holding a food or drink or anything. They just weren't wearing them. Oh, good. So, I mean, let's let's end the farce.
0: Yeah. No, absolutely right. Now, I'm glad you mentioned the border towns, because I know that the mayors in, like, for example, Niagara Falls and uh, in Windsor and a lot of that southwestern Ontario where they are, are used to having a lot of U.S. visitors, and the U.S. visitors said, screw this Arrive Can BS. And yeah. so so a lot of those communities suffered... You know, really unduly, because, like you say, this is uh this border me- these vaccine measures and whatnot were just a bunch of crap, but uh, you had said something about the arrive can app to me just before the show that I wasn't aware of, so uh, how about you share it with the rest of the country?
1: yeah, and I actually didn't even tell you what what uh I was gonna say. I just told you that the government was proposing a rebranding of the arrive can app, yeah, so I'm now uh, excited, and so you don't even know what this rebranding is. So this is the first time you're hearing it. Um, The government is proposing to rebrand the Rivecan app as a customs app. What? So that you'll have to use it to get through customs.
0: Oh, my God.
1: to To declare how much you're bringing across the border and everything.
0: Oh, for crying out loud. Yeah. So... Just so, just so I'm clear on this, and just for the rest of Canada, so we're clear on this, I'm coming home from Mexico, Germany, whatever. I've got to download the Arrive Can app and upload into it the bottle of tequila that I'm bringing home or whatever. Is that is that kind of where it's going?
1: Yeah. that's That's the proposal.
0: Oh, my God.
1: Doesn't mean it'll happen, but that's the proposal. I mean, it's... It, they've. It, it, I mean, we all know. I mean, this this app was not about public health, right? Right. This app was about. Uh, this app was about tracking people, and so they don't want to get they don't want to lose their ability to track people. So they've they've got to use it for something.
0: Well, I know they spent I think about twenty five million dollars on on this ridiculous app. So. Well, that was
1: about twenty three point or twenty four point one million too much, um, because yeah. <laughs> it doesn't work properly.
0: Yeah, I mean, I have no experience with it because I haven't traveled since uh, ArriveCan was around. But here's an interesting stat, and this was I got from True North, and it said between I think it was April twenty one when the app was first introduced, and August of this year, it was one point six million people came across a border in Canada without using a Rive can. So uh, whether CBSA agent just said, you know what, there's a ridiculously long four-hour lineup of cars, just go. Or people who just said, screw you, I'm not using it, and the border agents said, okay, fine. But uh, that's a lot of people who thumbed their nose at it, so I want to applaud each and every one of them.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's... A lot of those people probably ended up in quarantine, Um because that was the alternative to not using the app was right. quarantine, which which still blows my mind how that was even legal. I mean, and I'm sure that there should there, someone is going to sue the government over that, and they should.
0: I think they already are, because, actually.
1: Yeah, because that's that's just it's wrong on so many levels. But if you have your proof of vaccination, I mean, I already have a problem with the whole proof of vaccination BS, yes, but. Uh, but if you have your proof of vaccination and it's and you have it printed out and it because those things have uh, QR codes on them that once scanned tell you if it's legit or not. Um, I I don't understand why you had to use the app if you had all your information printed out on papers and you presented that to the CBSA agent, you should have been allowed to go through with no problems, but they wanted to force everyone to use this tracking app uh, and uh, or else go to quarantine. And, and, I mean, we know it's a tracking app. They admitted it's a tracking app. And um, so, once again, the conspiracy theorists were simply spoiler alerts, and that would include us because we were the ones... You know, warning against it. I think we're the only ones warning against it uh, in in the media, and uh, saying that it was that it was likely a tracking app, and ended up it was.
0: Yep, that's right. And uh, as our our listener Mackenzie had pointed out a couple of months ago, when he went through the states to come to Western Canada, they he had to put in not only where he was going in Western Canada. As a Canadian citizen, don't forget, they wanted him to tell them what hotels he was going to be staying in and which communities he would be going to. And I thought, but he's a Canadian citizen. Um, it's not, in my opinion, it's none of the government's damn business where I'm going, what hotel I'm going to stay in. What if I was just going to decide when I get there to find a hotel? Like that was uh, totally a tracking app. It's ridiculous.
1: Yeah, and I mean, why? Why? you and I have both done a lot of traveling, and when you travel, your plans change. Like, how the hell can you possibly say, I'm going to be in this town, this is where I'm staying, uh, and all that, and be definitive about that? Because when I've traveled, sometimes that, those plans change. I mean, quite often those plans change.
0: Well, yeah, you decide, um, oh, hey, you know what, this is a nice place. I'm going to stay an extra day or two so I can go and see... This park, or whatever, right? Or
1: you meet, or you meet someone on the trip, and they say, "Oh no, you don't want to go there. You want to go here instead." And so you change your plans. And yeah, it's uh, it's ridiculous. I mean, this is, I we we, uh, you know, before before Trudeau came into power, I thought we lived in a free country, and six years in or seven years in now, six and a half years, I guess it is, I realize, you know, this is not a free country. And, I mean, it's not like I just came to that realization. I came to that realization a few years ago. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But but this is not the free country we've always been told it is.
0: No, it's sad. I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, people would be in a conversation and say, well, yeah, it's a free country, go ahead. Well, nobody says that anymore. No.
1: <laughs> no, <Nope. laughs> not, not people who know what they're talking about, anyhow. Yep,
0: yeah, exactly. So, uh, you got time for one more? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, here's here's the and more part of the show, Canada. So this uh, was an article I just read on Bloomberg, actually just last night. So, Louis, you and I didn't discuss this one before the show. No. Nope. But... Uh, as it turns out um they're going to validate these two dumbasses from rural canada who have been ringing the bells that recession is on its way now i can't remember which uh bank this this particular economist was representing but this 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 economist said canada is actually headed for a severe recession in 2023 now i know damn well there was two dumbasses on this small but growing podcast who have been saying pretty much since the government started raining money out during the pandemic that this is not going to end well.
1: Yep, yep. And I think those uh, those two guys were us.
0: Yep, and it's uh, that's one of those things, like you always say, I hate to be right, and yep. I'm really sad that we're right about this. I mean, I guess the recession hasn't... Fully hit yet? Although you've made a very good case that that has already begun.
1: Yes, I believe it already has begun. Um, just because I I see a change in people's spending habits through my business, um, and uh, I mean the the uh, the the high uh, interest rates have really um, have really uh, had a big effect. Uh, people that were planning on you know. Some large expenditures have canceled them because they were going to put them on their line of credit, but their line of credit is now at, you know, six point nine percent or something. Um, so, uh, I mean, like I said, and I've been saying this for a long time. You can go back and check our old shows. I've been saying this for a while that you know there's a very real possibility that we're going to end up in stagflation, and which is the worst case scenario. And that, and what stagflation is, is that the economy just stagnates. Um, yes, it it can go into a recession, uh, but it will continue uh, just stagnating. It won't won't grow, um, and yet the inflation rate remains really high, and that is from governments just pouring money into the economy, which is what. They've been doing for the past two years and uh or two and a half years now and uh, and we were t- telling you back in you know spring of what may of 2020 we were warning about a massive recession at the end of all this uh because of the uh all the money that the government was printing. And we continued to warn you about this all through the pandemic. Uh, And then we also uh, were warning you of a of possible stagflation, a massive inflation. I remember we were saying for two years that, that that hyperinflation was coming.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, And, and the hyperinflation is here and we've, and we, but this uh, stagflation part is what's really scary. Is when the economy doesn't grow, but yet inflation rate stays high, and that's kind of that's kind of what's happening at the moment. Like the economy might not be in recession, but it's definitely stagnating, and inflation is really high. Uh, the U.S. is definitely in recession. We are entering recession. the The thing is that. Um, the government isn't learning from this. They haven't learned from what got them into this position in the first place. They are uh, doubling down on what actually put us in recession and put us into hyperinflation, um, and they're doubling down on it. And they're, and they're printing more money, and they're putting more money into the economy by by, by giving money to people who who, you know, uh, who needed to make their bills or whatever. And it's like, um, yeah, you know what? I feel sorry for people who, who are having a hard time meeting their bills, but apparently that's like 71% of the country at the moment. Um, but you keep doing this, and the inflation rate's going to get even higher, and the uh, economy is going to stagnate even more yeah and it's going to receive even more. I mean this is they're just doing the same thing that got us into this problem in the first place,
0: yeah you're absolutely right and uh, that's probably where we'll wrap the show too i mean uh that seventy one percent number is scary, and I mean, I count myself in that number i mean if people who have changed their their grocery buying habits and a lot of Canadians have changed their eating habits I mean we're seeing the uh, single moms who will skip a meal so that their kids can eat and the government wants to say that the economy is on fire like um no we can't afford to live and continuing to rain money down is just not the way to fix it
1: no and it's uh i mean my my uh, my wife and i actually looked at what our mortgage payment would be if we were to renegotiate our mortgage right now like if our if our uh if our term was up right now and we had to get a new mortgage what our our interest rate would be and our mortgage payment would jump by $900 a month right now
0: oh my gosh
1: so we're we're just you know crossing our fingers and hoping that interest rates come back down in 3 years and uh when we have to renew And that it doesn't get, um, you know, it doesn't get, uh, too crazy because I mean, where do you get 900 bucks a month?
0: No kidding. I mean,
1: especially when I've got, you know, I got a kid that's going to be going to university in a year and a half and I've got another one that's a year and a half after that, uh, and I mean, if our mortgage payment jumps nine hundred bucks a month, we are in serious trouble with trying to put our kids through school.
0: Yeah, no kidding. So, so all right, Canada, we're going to wrap it up on that that note there. So, uh, I want to be wrong. I want to be wrong that there is no recession coming, but well, it's already here. So, uh,
1: yeah, I want to be wrong too, but we're not.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, uh, thank you for joining us, Canada. I do want to end on a. Rather positive note is that uh our listenership has really been growing these past few episodes. So uh thank you to all of you for sharing the show and mentioning it to your friends and family. So uh much appreciate it.
1: Yeah. No, we really appreciate it. We don't make anything off this show. We do this because we we have a we have a uh a feeling of duty. Yeah. That, that we need to Present a side of things that you're not going to see in the mainstream media in Canada, and to uh, you know give give a uh, a side of things that many people in this country feel. Yeah, and uh, but have nowhere to find it, and uh, and so I mean we're we're trying to do that. We uh, this gives us an outlet to to. You know, let off steam too, and uh, and so we really, really appreciate it that you guys come back every week and and listen to us, uh, you know, and and that you actually think that what we say is interesting.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, thank you very much for joining us, and until next week, it is Tony in Saskatchewan
1: and Lewis out here in BC. Good night.
0: Good night, Canada.